I really, I really appreciate the forethought put into building the facility mm-hmm. and how they're going planning on doing that because you can say a lot of really good things about old wineries and having longevity but then when you really think about it it's like the fact that they're able to take advantage of the modern technology and yes. have like all the best knowledge accumulate into the building like a very purpose-built structure gives them such an advantage yes <laughs> it feels like a little bit of like um old school winemaking versus with with modern technology doesn't it yeah exactly yeah it's just like taking advantage of every aspect that they can the next step is that they're gonna make the grapes in the lab instead of growing them or something <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly that was a joke Fair <laughs> welcome to taste bc radio where we're going on a journey to explore restaurants breweries wineries and just about anywhere where we can eat or drink local i'm jeff and i'm dan and we are talking twice a month about local bc food and drink if you want to join in on the conversation follow us on instagram or facebook at taste bc radio or email us at host at tastebcradio.ca all right tasters let's get into it Hey, Dan. Hey, Jeff. Welcome back to the show. Oh, yes. Yes, welcome back uh, to you and everybody else, I guess. <laughs> um, great start. <laughs> so how um, how is your holiday setup going? Good. We uh, we actually finished all of our Christmas shopping uh, before December. Holy cow. I know. I know. I take zero credit for that, honestly. It's all my wife. Although, <laughs> I should say I'm waiting for like some of her presents to arrive in the mail, so technically, like, the everything is done ordered it just needs to actually arrive now so right, right. um well that's, yeah, no. that's the big step i haven't even thought about some stuff so oh man <laughs> <laughs> it is i kind of like the way we did it this year now we can uh, just like kind of relax and enjoy december yeah. and stuff and well enjoy the holiday season that's uh that's coming up and we we put up our lights and stuff and we bought some smart lights you guys inspired us as well to, mm-hmm. to get these smart lights that that will go into our front porch light and then uh, the two lights on either side of the garage and so right. they control by our phone and they change colors so there's like a christmas and then there's party theme and stuff like that so cool yeah that that'll be fun and it's a little amuse bouche into the smart lights world exactly yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah i uh like putting the christmas lights up I uh, definitely wanted to get some yeah. permanent lights uh, at some point. I'm hoping like it'll be a next year project, and then we can just mm-hmm. do it. I can put them up when it's sunny out, like during the spring or summer. In the middle of summer, yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. So I'm yeah. not getting pouring, yeah. getting soaked by the rain. <laughs> yeah, my dad was listening to the last episode, and he was talking about it. He has a two story house. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and my mom, and it's really hard for him to get the Christmas lights up, and because they're so non intrusive, he's thinking about getting some. And the house, it's not a, like I don't know if they would work perfectly for the place, but what I told him, I said, is first of all, I think you'd benefit from having them in the back of your mm-hmm. house because then you can have them for um, like summer nights, guests, whatever. But that's I think a little bit less important in terms of like all the ability to make colors and stuff. But I said, but what you would really benefit from them is on the second floor because you mm-hmm. know, you never have to go onto the roof. Exactly. And the whole second floor has an eave, so it can go underneath there. You won't be able to see it from the street or if you can, it won't be really noticeable. Be flush with the house. Yeah. And you don't even have to have them on all the time. You can just kind of set them how you want them certain seasons or events or whatever you can have them doing whatever and then if you still want to have the christmas lights only on the first floor that's way less dangerous and difficult to do because you're just on a 
stepladder from the ground. So absolutely. He's thinking about it. And I told him I would help him install it if if he wanted to do it because they are quite easy to install. It's just it's way easier on a nice day than it is in the middle of winter. So a hundred percent. Yeah. And uh it's it's kind of cool. Uh, a couple houses down from us, uh either they were there before, but I think they're brand new that they installed the lights on their mm-hmm. uh, edges as well. And so we got a like a perfect preview of what it'll look like on our house and it's really they look really cool yeah yeah i like the look of them and uh i think it would just just the ease of it and then we could just basically turn on and set whatever colors we want yeah. and we probably will still do like lights throughout the bushes and stuff like that and just to kind of add course, some yeah. and then we have some blow-ups as well so we're looking yeah. pretty good we have had a yeah. couple of cars like slow down in front of our house so we're like yes there we go little soft oh, yeah, pad on the back <laughs> yeah whenever whenever i drive past like a super well decorated house i'm always just gobsmacked at the the time and effort that goes oh into it oh my gosh yeah I, yeah <laughs> i just think about all the times that like i've just put off putting the christmas lights on and if we had the amount of sheer volume of lights and stuff to put up how much i'd like procrastinate <laughs> Yeah. yeah. What, what what kind of blow-ups do you have? We've got a little wiener dog. We've got a penguin, an owl, and I think a bear, a polar bear. That's awesome. <laughs> I think. Well, just say it with confidence and no one will yes. know different. Yeah. I know I know the owl because the owl has like fought because I guess there's like water pooling because it's been raining so much. So it just keeps Uh-oh. getting blown up and then falling over. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. A few too many uh, bevies for that little yeah. owl for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got a jam-packed show tonight or today, so uh, we should probably just get right into it. Tons of things that you've been tasting and I've got a pretty long story from my winery, which gets us into the topic of the day, which is wineries. Yes. So, Dan, I would love to hear the winery you want to tell me about. Well, I've got a really good one for you, and it's um, there's a lot of good history behind it, and the, visiting it was one of the highlights of our trips uh, to the beautiful Okanagan Valley, and uh, specifically Oliver and Asoyuz. We I talk, I talk a lot about the wineries from there, and they're just so good. Everyone it seems to be unique in their own way, They uh, and they just have this perfect climate, both in the soil and in the weather patterns, to grow just fantastic wines uh, especially red wines oh my gosh doing a winery like in the winter has given me the itch to want to go back and taste a bunch more wines because i'm sure there's a little wineries that have popped up since the last time we were there but anyway the winery that i want to talk to you guys about is called second chapter and it's a beautiful small winery just on the south end of of the river and it's facing east i guess Okay. Yeah. That, yes. Yes. It is facing east. So this winery actually opened up in 2018. The story behind this is it was the owners and the founders of uh, Church and State Winery who uh, were bought out in 2017. The winemaker, the owner, and a couple of a sprinkling of other employees within Church and State uh, wanted to start their own winery. So they had been actually cultivating grapes from this little patch of vines for about 10 or 15 years. So they had, I guess, part of the deal when they got bought out is that they would be able to keep specific portions of the grape vines that they that they had been using for a long time in cool. the in the expectation of opening their own winery which is kind of what they wanted to do from the get-go right so it sounds like they church and state obviously is a huge huge winery and it's very very well known in Soyuz. and i think they wanted 
to kind of take it a step back and kind of go back to their roots of what how they wanted to run the winery and be less kind of commercialized and more about the wine itself and the experience and personal touch behind uh, winemaking and wine tasting. So yeah, they do a maximum of 4,000 cases a year. And so they wow. are very, very small. I love that. I know it's so cool. So they had the they had a a set part a uh, set vines from before, and then they when they opened they started uh, another small patch of uh, vines that they first harvested in 2020, and that was their Cav Franc. The interesting thing about this parcel of land that they chose is that it had been left kind of bare and unused for about 24 years. So they were able to like sample the soil and found really interesting or really good blends of soil and and pH that would be very good for the Cab Franc grape and the and just added a little bit of depth and texture I guess to it. And so they were able to first harvest this in 2020 after they planted in I believe it was 2017 or 2018 that they first planted yeah. those. Usually takes about 3 years. Yeah. And so but because they had like an already established vines from church and state, they were able to bottle a different ones before the Cab Franc. And so their first wines that they were able to bottle was their Rattlesnake Merlot and their second chapter Syrah. And then they're along with they had a Chardonnay and a Rattlesnake Viognier. I believe Rattlesnake is their kind of reserve. And so it's their extra fancy ones. Mm-hmm. We have uh, one of their Chardonnays, which is absolutely delicious. It's a very, for a white and for the Okanagan Valley, not totally being known for their whites. It's a very deep, uh, tasty, not super sweet, quite dry Chardonnay. And it's just an extraordinarily delicious white wine. Um, if you're more into the dry and complex ones. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Their Syrah is absolutely to die for as well. They Tasting their wines, you could tell that the uh, winemakers themselves were very passionate, and each one that we tasted was so unique in its own way. And we got to try one of their reserve, and I think it was the Rattlesnake Merlot, and it mm-hmm. just had this incredible depth to it. And then just this really interesting flavor profile. I can't even describe it to you. It just was so unique in its own way. And you could just tell how much passion and attention to detail the winemakers had when when they were creating this. So they've obviously taken their personal touch towards the wines itself and have mixed it with their experience in like commercial uh, wine making. And uh, they've just kind of blended those two skills together and just created this absolute masterpiece of a winery. Yeah. The one thing I'm seeing on their website right now is that the Rattlesnake Merlot is still a 2017 vintage. Yeah. So it's obviously been sitting for a while and just it costs a lot more to sit on wine before you sell it so that it age how you want it to age. And that's yeah. So that's really cool. You don't see a lot of older vintages, especially at smaller wineries these days. So the fact that they're willing to do that and kind of sit on it until it's ready to go is really uh, yeah. unique to especially to smaller wineries, at least. Absolutely. And that, it kind of goes to the, the personal side of wine tasting. It's less about getting as much wine out there as possible and more of the quality and the personality of each individual wine and what they require most of all. Right. So, yeah, very, very cool. The tasting room itself is this beautifully small, intimate 
modern style. It almost looks like it's it's not a shipping container. I'm not going to call it a shipping container, but it kind of has that little bit of a vibe. It's uh it's on a flat concrete and it's one story and it's overlooking the vineyard itself and it's just it's so beautiful and they have a little bit of little patio with umbrellas and and places to many places to sit and and just enjoy their um, beautifully crafted wines. When they were doing the tastings for us, like each person who was telling us about the wine was very knowledgeable um, and definitely took the time. You could tell that they were really like paying attention to detail and really wanting to describe to you what they were trying to accomplish with each with each individual wine. Yeah. And uh, so it was really cool just to see that each employee had the same passion describing and telling you about the wines that they that you could taste with each sip. So from top to bottom, it's a a winery that knows exactly what it wants to do and executes it to perfection. Yes. Every every single wine, is, like I said, is unique in its own way. One of the really cool things that has just been uh, uh, recently opened is that they have a brand new cellar facility as well. But then they're also uh, ha- they have a series of three caves that are burrowed underneath the vineyard for barrel aging. Yeah. And as well as a full service boutique tasting cave. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the renderings of this right now. If you go onto their website and look yeah. under blog, they have the renderings of at the time what it will look like. But yes, it looks super cool. Yeah, it looks amazing, and the, and so you can go and do uh, taste like private tastings within these caves. I haven't. I, I think it was probably under construction while we were there because mm-hmm. it was opened in the spring of twenty twenty one, and uh, so I will definitely be back because this looks like a really unique experience. I'm looking yeah. at the because it looks like you're just in this kind of cr- cave that's been created with concrete and stuff like that. It looks very modern, and then you have the oak barrels kind of sitting around and uh, stacked up high. It reminds me of the cave in Portugal for like the port and stuff oh, just kind of like low lower ceilings all the barrels lined up yeah just kind of doing tastings in those rooms it's very yeah it's, it's really cool definitely people should check it out if nothing else then on the website for the renderings mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so part of their attention to detail is uh, what they learned from their 15 or so years of running church and state is they really began to appreciate setting yourself up uh, the way you want to do it. So they really created their cellar to how they wanted to create wines themselves. So um, for example, they ordered specific Lagarde tanks from Quebec and they're rectangular stainless steel fermenters Ooh. that allow you to have easy cap management. So cap management is managing all the uh, kind of fermentation process that form right at the uh, and float on top of the wine. And if you right. aren't able to manage that, you can have issues with extraction of color and flavors. So it's right. kind of like okay. a, a, the cap behaves like an insulator and it can trap dangerous levels of heat that can kill the yeast and halt fermentation. So right. obviously a very important piece of the wine so making process. Making that easier would be a good thing. Yes. So say, and make, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they uh, bought two specific, uh, they call it peristaltic pumps, which work by compressing on a small, soft tube and for to move fruit and what this pump these pumps do is that uh they 
move it so gently that they keep all of the flavors and all the skin still intact and it gives them like more ability to extract flavor from them so apparently you can even pump full tomatoes through them without getting any damage on the on the tomatoes themselves which is pretty cool <laughs> there there is a reason that they had a single floor flat building and they and that's because they wanted to use gravity to feed their tank so they had a custom bathtub developed that allowed them to load fruit in it lift it over the tanks with a forklift and then pull the plug which then drains the fruit gently into the tank so there's obviously been a lot of planning <laughs> a lot of uh, yeah. small details that obviously me not being a winemaker wouldn't think twice about so it's very cool and i love the fact that they've told you about it uh, on their on their blog on how um uh, on how they do it because then it just shows you how much thought and and preparation went into developing this and designing this winery so right right and it shows it very much shows i can't say any negative stuff about any of the wines that we tried every single one of them was great and uh unique in their own way like it was really hard usually we'll go to a winery and we'll uh, pick one or two of our favorites and this one took us a really long time to decide which ones we wanted to take home with us so kudos to the pollen family who uh who own second chapter couple last couple of things about the winery because i could go on and on and on the name itself second chapter uh Mm -hmm. is kind of cool because this is a holistic approach to how they wanted to name their winery and for for the owners and for a lot of the winemakers and people who came over from church and state this was kind of their second start or their second second chapter of their winemaking journey one of their winemakers phil uh glazebrook is actually their se- his second time working with these owners. So he oh. started with them in at Church and State and then moved over to Road 13, which is another great winery in the Okanagan, and then uh, worked there for about five years, got married, had a couple kids, and then came back when they launched Second Chapter to rejoin the team. So kind of Phil's second chapter with the management team there. So that's, that's awesome. Was, that was pretty cool. The last thing I want to talk about is they have a wine club, which is always lovely. You uh, sign up and you can... Uh, get packages sent to you uh they ship wines throughout all major cities in canada which is pretty impressive considering they're quite a small winery they like to do a quarterly basis package deal so they'll send them out in march june september and december they also really want to uh, people who uh, sign up for this to also share feedback with stuff that they've noticed as well so food pairing suggestions uh, so they're they seem to be wanting their members to kind of get in and share their experience and then they can they can sorry they can create a community within themselves to to for different wine connoisseurs to kind of share their experiences and make their wines a more pleasant experience even when even though they already are on their own so very cool cool i think for me like i I have to be really careful because the amount of times that I see a wine club and be like, oh, yeah, I could definitely do that. <laughs> I'm going to end up with like packages like <laughs> arriving at my house every month of just case upon after case after case of wine. So got to be a that. little careful. <laughs> <laughs> and the nice thing here as well, um, the last little thing about their wine club is they don't have an, an initiation fee and they don't have a cancellation fee. Perfect. You So you only pay for the wine that is delivered directly to your door, which is always nice. Amazing. Yeah. So if you find yourself in the Okanagan Valley, first of all, I hate you. I'm very jealous that <laughs> <laughs> you can find them at 510 Tinhorden Creek Road in Oliver, BC. Awesome. Thank you. So Jeff, what have you been tasting this week? I've got a super cool 
beer that I have tried. Mm-hmm. I was actually shopping for different beers for guests we were having over, and uh-huh. it caught my eye at the BC Liquor Store, which I will also add, it's not even on this brewery's website that it is at the liquor store. It just wow. to be, it only says it's available at two different places, one in Langley, one in Revelstoke. But here we are at the BC Liquor Store in Burnaby. I found <laughs> Ravens Brewing Co., okay, company from Abbotsford. Uh-huh. It's called the Legitimately Spicy Passion Fruit Orange Ghost Pepper Sour. Oh, my God. What? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, first, the nose on the beer is kind of sweet. Uh, you mm-hmm. get that kind of sweet and sour note. Uh, you get the sweetness from the orange and the, and the passion fruit. Uh, and then you take a sip. And the very, very first thing you get is a little bit of sweetness. And then it transition transitions into some spice from the ghost pepper. Hmm. And then it transitions into a really, really extremely sour beer. Like, Ooh, like wow. one of the more sour beers that I've had. And then uh-huh. that morphs into a bit of like a sour, like spicy sour and kind of then slowly fades off. Cool. What's really cool about this beer is that, so it comes in a tall boy can, 473 mils. Mm-hmm. And I poured a couple of small tasters for the people that were also having it. My sister and her fiance, who's very uh, spice at first. Anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> and I had a couple sips of it and I was like, wow, that is such a cool journey. It's, it, it, it's. For all those things that I said, it's actually quite a light beer. Mm, and, really? And I had a couple sips and I was like, oh, like I can see, like I can see this beer being one that is amazing addition to a flight, mm-hmm. but I don't want to have it over and over and over again. Right. But boy, was I surprised to find that as I made my way through the, the beer, like the glass of beer, it just didn't get any worse the whole mm. way down. And so you kind of acclimatize to the spice of it. Not that it ever gets any less spicy, but you get used to that expectation of the spice to the sour to, with the sweet. That journey happens every sip and it's so cool. And it ma- and you make your way all the way through the glass. And as your palate starts to, to clean up, you might say, okay, I'm ready for a different beer or whatever. And that's totally fine. But I found myself craving it the next day and I had the next one the next day. Wow. And I, pro- I probably easily could have sat there and sessioned it. Really? But I had bought a variety of beers and I wanted to try them all. So I was stunned <laughs> by how incredible this beer was and if i could i would stock up on it because it is a limited edition mm-hmm. or so i so it's Gather. it looks like to me yeah yeah but what i also really like about it is most of raven brewing they have quite simple labels there the bottom half is silver it says raven it has a picture of a raven kind of like mm-hmm. drawn as a silhouette and then there's a color across the top this one is silver across the top so it just looks like a plain can with the writing and then the picture of the raven on it and just a thin red stripe around it. So it really catches your eye against all of the other really colorful cans. The fact that this pulls so much simplicity really juxtaposes the intense flavor combination. And um, this is the first beer I've ever had from Raven's Brewing. And I am just absolutely blown away. So if anyone has a chance to try it, I highly, highly recommend it. They are an Abbotsford company, so their location, I'm sure, sells it out of there if it's not super limited and it's still available. They've got some other really great looking beers that I want to try as well. But man, this this ghost pepper sour was just unbelievable. The The balance between the passion fruit and orange and the fact that it was legitimately sour and it was legitimately spicy, but not overwhelming in any of those three categories was so beautifully balanced and so sessionable, despite having such an intense flavor. And you know, mm-hmm. you and I both are like really, especially me, I like just really love super uh, intense flavors in food yeah. and, and like things that kind of catch you off guard. And this really caught me off guard. And I was super, super impressed. 
That sounds incredible, actually. This year, Dan, when I joined on tap, there was only one beer that I've ever put on it that got a five star. And this one is now number two that has gotten a five star. Wow. And I, I specifically have held off putting it on t- on untapped because I didn't want you to see it and get an <laughs> inkling of what the beer was because I really wanted to that shock factor because that, that was that incredible. was the reaction that I got when I took my first sip and then my second sip and it was just yeah. Wow. That is um to go from like sour to spicy in the same beer as well and to do it yeah so per like it sounds like it's just perfectly balanced on both sides is just yeah. quite the uh quite the feat yeah and in the sour revolution a lot of places have kind of taken it easy with sour and there's a very distinct difference between a big sour and mm-hmm. like a kettle sour and a mm-hmm. lot of them don't go as far as they can with sour because everything kind of regresses to the average right you know yeah. if you get a really hoppy beer that takes off for a bit but then you don't sell it because only some people want a beer that hoppy so everything kind of everything kind of pulls back towards like a lager or a pale ale in one way or another and um Raven's not afraid to to really make a splash. So super, super <laughs> cool. I, I'm super impressed and I can't wait to see what else they do. 100%. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going to be looking out for that one. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Dan. It's the Space Case Part 1. Part 1 of 2, I think. I'm going to do 7 today. All right. <laughs> I'll do, Let's I'll do, do we're f- going to do Rapid Fire Phillips Brewing Space Case Edition. Yes. Tell me what you've been tasting. So the space case is this year has been they released tasting room only beers into cans and put them randomly in a in a case and release them to the public. Perfect. I have been enjoying every day kind of opening up one of the little slots and being surprised at what which beer comes out. I have been rather impressed by the variety and like the different kind of styles that they've been going through. Okay. Overall, it's been a very pleasant experience and very cool to see what the brewmasters have come up with and and how they've executed these different styles. And you can kind of see they've been having fun with this. So uh, I'm going to talk to you about the first kind of seven. I shouldn't say the first seven. I'm going to talk to you about the first five and then the last two that I really want to highlight because they were just the most amazing beers. Really, really good. So we started off the space case with a Kentucky Common, which was a lovely little kind of boo- little bit boozy, little bit malty beer. Uh, it was yeah. very lovely. You talked about Driftwood's Kentucky Common recently, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, cool. both very excellent beers in their own way. The second one was a Strumple Fest beer. So again, very malt forward, very uh, kind of Bavarian style and just really, really nicely balanced and yeah. super tasty. Perfect. Sorry, before we continue, can you give me a rating out of five of each one? Yes. Uh, so I gave the Kentucky Common a 3.75. Okay. And a Strumpful Fest beer, I gave a four. This next one was one of my highlights as well. They did a cold pale ale. So we ta- we've talked oh. about the cold IPA being kind of like a feature style for this year. Well, they've gone and done a cold pale ale. And I'll tell you what, it was one of the best beers I've uh, one of the most interesting, uh, definitely one of the best pale ales I think I've ever had. Uh, definitely one to look out. Well, I guess you can't really look out for it because it's strictly <laughs> the space case. Oh, just it was so. How do I describe it? It was just such a unique flavor with a little bit of hops to it, a little bit of that kind of pungentness that you get from pale ales and IPAs, but just dialed back a little bit and kind of went more. It kind of brought. I, I guess the the cold fermentation or the cold process kind of releases more of the sweet or fruity styles of the uh, yeah. 
of the hops, and it just was this beautifully balanced, super easy to drink, cold pale ale. It was incredible. It was very, very good. I gave that one a 4.75 for me. Amazing. Yeah, it was really good. The next one was a, I think they called it an American style red ale. Very nicely uh, balanced. It poured like this copper red, which is beautiful to look at. Even better to drink. I I love a good red ale. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting, but also very easy to drink. And this one was very good. So I gave it a four. The kf- and the next one was the Kveik. I can never pronounce that. Fest beer. Can you spell that for me? K V E I K. Kveik. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Kveik <laughs> is like a is a uh, I, I believe it's a kind of yeast that is often oh, okay. used in sour beers. This one was like I know that from uh, Il Sauvage, but this Kveik Fest beer was poured this really light, like straw colored. Was pretty carbonated, so fun to drink, <laughs> and uh, had this really light tropical flavor profile to it. And sometimes you can get this, uh, you can kind of get overpowered, and it'll almost go into like a sour territory. But they did a really nice job of balancing that out, and just made it a very pleasant fruit-forward fest beer. It was really, really good. So I'd give that Amazing. one a four as well. The last two, which is what we had last night, the last one was called, they called the Keg Leg Rum Stout. And so this was a stout that was aged in rum-soaked honeycombs and staves. Whoa. 160 pounds. <laughs> something like that. I'm sure I'm sure it's something, <laughs> something crazy like that. So it was delicious. It was really smooth, very... Um, chocolate and coffee forward so you get that stout but then it had this really sweet after not really sweet sorry a sweet aftertaste that was a little bit on the boozy side so you can kind of get you can gather some honey and some rum flavoring from from the rum soaked honeycombs so it was a delicious delicious stout that was quite strong it was a 7.2 so i was feeling that one a little bit (laughs) and i'd probably give that one a four and a half it was delicious. Okay. This next one, the last one I want to talk to you in this round is called Pie Hard Nitro Dessert Pastry Sour. I already love it. <laughs> yeah, right? And so I'm going to show you the picture because it's pretty funny. Let me describe it. So it is a Bruce Willis-esque guy kind of climbing out of an oven holding a pie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, he's got the he's got the white uh, sleeveless shirt on like he does in the mil- movie. Yeah, exactly. And so this is a uh, blueberry pie inspired beer is what they call it. It was to die for. It was yeah. so good. It, it tasted like liquefied blueberry pie and then <laughs> but like soured. I, it, and it's they've cool. added like lactose to it. They've added a little bit of vanilla and cinnamon to give you that kind of pie flavoring. And then there's blueberry uh, juice and a little bit of lemon juice to give it a little bit more acidity. And then it just finished. So that was kind of like the, it was fruit and pie forward on the, on the front of your palate. And then it just became just gently sour just to give you a little bit of more. Uh, kind of cut the sweetness a bit. Cut the sweetness, but also give you a little bit of like complexity to it. Yeah. Amazing. What's the percentage on that one? This one was six. Oh, wow. Yeah, really easy to drink. And with the because it was nitro infused rather than carbon dioxide, it was incredibly smooth. So it gave you almost like a creamy texture to it as well. I I missed that you said that. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So I gave this one a 4.75 as well. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. 
So you'll have cool. to wait to find out what we tasted next, or the last, the last five. Yeah, I can't <laughs> wait. So so far, the space case has received from you twenty nine point seven five out of thirty five. Oh, it's pretty darn good. Which is pretty darn good. And uh, <laughs> we'll check in next time. Absolutely. All right, but that's enough of listening to my voice. Let's hear what winery you have to talk about today. Awesome. So. Pretty funny story. I actually was struggling between talking about two different wineries. And I was thinking, oh, well, I could do this one or I could do that one. And I was like, oh, I wonder which one would be a better one. And before I get into telling you why it actually didn't matter in the long run, I need to tell you about one of them so that I can tell you about the other. So here we go. <laughs> First thing I'm going to talk about is Little Straw Vineyards. Little Straw was started by the Slamka family, and they first planted in 1969, and they had the intention of just selling their grapes to other wineries. Mm -hmm. Just to give you kind of a context of where they're located, they're up the hill from Volcanic Hills, so they mm -hmm. actually overlook Beaumont, Mount Boucherie, Volcanic Hills, the actual Mount Boucherie itself, not just the winery, and a little bit over the lake as well from their vineyard side. Mm -hmm. And they're this cute little kind of older style building with a little restaurant attached to it. Anyway, so they started growing wines, but in 1996, they decided to actually establish their own winery. And so they started making vintages uh, starting from 1994, and mm -hmm. that was their first commercial release. So then they experimented a lot with different varietals that work on their 12-acre land and different growing techniques, and they were very experimental. When I went there, they had a ton of wines, varieties, and combinations that I hadn't seen on uh, any other um, winery visit during mm -hmm. that trip. And we went to, I think, wow. 14 overall that weekend. To continue the legacy, they then opened their barrel top grill in 2008. And this allowed guests to come and sit, enjoy food with the, with the wine. And again, talking about little wineries doing things that a lot of places don't mm -hmm. and like you sorry a lot of other small wineries don't is it's not very common for s quite small wineries like this to have a, a restaurant attached because they just don't get the volume of people and then you look at the bigger wineries and they have these really fancy restaurants so this was really cool that they they opened this up um when i went unfortunately it was closed for the day but i, I won't spend too long on the food but just wanted <laughs> to point out that they yeah, yeah. have they have that there um and now in telling you that uh, I actually only really told you the story about Little Straw because uh, they, in 2018, just before COVID, actually decided to transition out of winemaking and mm. they sold to Kalala Winery. Huh. And so the, the family that owns Kalala Winery, we're going to jump over to the other winery that I decided that I wanted, I was trying to decide if I wanted to talk about. Um, and funny enough, I ended up choosing Little Straw and then I said, oh, okay, I'll hold Kalala for another time. And I opened up the Kalala and, and I realized that they had recently sold to, well, I guess it was five years ago, but still they had sold to Kalala and are still being operated as Little Straw. So finding wow. that out was quite a funny coincidence. So basically you're just doing both. So basically I'm just doing both. So now... The main event, Kalala Organic Estate Winery. So Kalala was started by uh, immigrants from North India. So Carnell Sidhu uh, came to Canada in 1993 with an electrical engineering degree. Mm. And as is common in Canada for I don't know what reason, the degree was not recognized. And so he had to find a job doing something to support his family. Mm. And so he comes from a family of 
or he's a third generation. He comes from a family of organic farmers. Hmm. And so he decided to work in the orchards and, and wineries in the Okanagan Valley where they ended up. After his time at Summerhill and a couple of locations, he decided that he wanted to start his own winery. And so he opened up Kalala. So the name Kalala means miracle place in his uh, native tongue. And so it comes from a story that Carnell was told by his grandparents when he was young. And the story goes, and I'll quote it from uh, their website. Long ago in northern India, farmers working on beautiful and distant flatlands came upon a wolf and lamb sitting peacefully together. They believed the coexistence to be so inspiring that they moved their village to this very spot in hopes that the same harmony would be reflected in their village. And they named it Kalala, meaning miracle place. Hmm. So it's got a really nice kind of historic meaning and kind of spiritual and very personal meaning to them. Yeah, yeah. And in 2010... Uh, they were able to get certified as organic, which kind of really just built on that Miracle Place vibe of the wow. the winery itself. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that I like that they do is they were some of the first to grow Zweigelt in the Okanagan, which is one of my favorite grapes. And it grows kind of iconically well in the Okanagan, but was mm-hmm. only recently discovered. And you see it popping up everywhere now in wineries, but it was a very slow start. And in my wine tasting experience, there was one winery like Arrowleaf doing it. And then and mm-hmm. then I'm not sure when Kalala started, but I know that they were one of the first ones as well. And then slowly the others have caught on. In the last few years, you see a lot of Zweigelt grapes coming up, which is a, a nice red kind of comparable to a Melbeck or, or a Merlot, but mm-hmm. in my opinion, much more flavorful. In the acquiring of Little Straw, they've kept a lot of things the same, but Kalala has also introduced a premium label for, of organic wines mm. uh, called Dostana, and that means friendship. And it's kind of a uh, homage to the marrying of the two uh, vineyards. But uh, Little Straw is still operating with their winery production and producing a bunch of different wines. And one of the things that Kalala is known for is their ice wines. Mm. So their ice wine game is quite remarkable compared to a lot of the wineries in the Okanagan, especially because ice wine is so risky and hard and expensive to make. But they have a Zweigel ice wine, a Merlot ice wine, a Chardonnay ice wine, and a Riesling ice wine. Oh. So really great variety of those. And then Little Straw also does a blush ice wine, which is like a rosé. That's so much ice. Yeah, but they do they do a, a very small bottle. So it's only $15. So you just kind of have like, yes, Dan, that was funny. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the blush ice wine from Little Straw is a small bottle. So you don't have to commit to like a... And by small, I don't mean like a typical ice wine bottle. I mean, it's like, mm. like an airline size bottle of wine. So it's super oh, nice. cool. Yeah, so you can kind of just have that one glass and then off you go, right? Um, Another thing I really like about Kalala, which is on top of the organic, on top of the wine club, on top of everything else, is they actually sell boxed wine. Now, you might think boxed wine, that's kind of stupid. Well, it's not. And let me tell you why. (laughs) Boxed wine is one of the best ways that you can actually drink a large amount of wine. And I don't mean a large amount of wine in one sitting. I mean that it's essentially, it's four bottles of wine and none of that wine will ever be touched by air. Because it comes out of a bag that's vacuum sealed, as you pour the wine out of it, that is the first time it's touching air. So Mm -hmm. when you open a bottle of wine, it immediately starts to deteriorate. And yes, you need to breathe some wine. So box, bagged wine, whatever, keg wine, all needs to exist only uh, for wines that are ready to drink right out of the pour. But for something like their Harmony Red, their Harmony White, and their Rosé, which is what they sell, 
the box wine is a very economical, very sustainable way of packaging these things because mm. it comes with a recyclable bag, returnable bag, the same as you would a bottle, but it's less weight for f- shipping, it's less weight for freight, and it uses less mat- like uh, new material in the actual production. Plus, you're getting a better product out of it because if you just want one glass, you don't have to open a bottle of wine and have it deteriorate before you drink the rest of it. So perfect. On the note of boxes of wine, they also do boxes of apple juice, which are oh. yeah, orchard pressed. So just kind of like a little top up for their their business there. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, of course, Kalala has a wine club, which many wineries do. And Little Straw, of course, also has a wine club. They both come with memberships like discounts on wines, priority access, you know, wine shipped directly to your house, etc. So the typical Mm -hmm. kind of wine club things, I don't need to go too much into it. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you're interested in either of them, definitely a great way to explore. Now, the one thing that I wish happened would be that you can do like a mix and match between the two wineries since they're the same kind of ownership now. But you know, that's okay. It looks to me like Little Straw is still doing some nice, a nice variety of wines. And one thing I noticed about Little Straw when they did it is they did a ton of blends. They did a lot of kind of unique blends or different varieties of blends to try to get something different. And they've continued to do that. They do have a couple single varietals as well. But yeah, so they're they're continuing with some of their more traditional blends as well. And Carnail at the helm of that. Finally, I will briefly mention the restaurant at Little Straw, and their menu is pretty basic. They've got uh, some, you know, boards, dip trios, some bruschetta, charcuterie board, as you would expect. They've got a caprice salad, which is like tomatoes, mozzarella, and basil with balsamic, which is just such an iconic blend. And then they do some flatbreads as well. So they've got a margarita flatbread, they've got a spicy salami and chorizo flatbread, and then a garden party, which is like a veggie deluxe. It's got pesto, zucchini, red onions, and mushrooms. So simple, but a wonderful viewpoint to sit. Some really nice uh, wines to sip on as well. You can buy by the glass or you can buy by the bottle and, and drink there. They also sell the apple juice and grape juice, and then what they call ABC, which is a blend of apple, beet, and carrot juice. So if you're not feeling the wine or you're the driver that day and you need something to sip on, but you can't be drinking a bunch of wine, then some great options for local pressed juices as well. Absolutely. Okay, so Little Straw is a little bit harder to find, but with the GPS world we live in, it makes it nice and easy. So on the south side of the 97 highway, down overlooking the Mount Boucherie Hill, uh, Volcanic Hills, etc., just off of Boucherie Road, Little Straw is located at 2815 Artoroland Road, which is O-U-R-T-O-L-A-N-D. Hmm. That's in West Kelowna. And then pop across the highway to go check out Kalala Organic Winery. And that is located at 3361 Glencoe Road. And that's on the north side of the 97 Highway off West Bank in West Kelowna. Yeah. Love it. Uh, Oh, and I forgot to mention the Kalala Vineyard has does not have a view of a lake or anything, but the land itself is gorgeous and you get to see up in the mountains and stuff. And it's, it's quite a unique viewpoint because most of the wineries try to overlook lakes. Yeah. But Kalala is just as beautiful. You just might not see a patch of water while you're there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Still gorgeous. It yeah. seems like no matter where you go in that area, it's just stunning. <laughs> yeah. Stunning. Unless there's a fire. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Come on, fire. Ruin everything. <laughs> well, that about wraps it up for this leg of our journey. Taste BC Radio is recorded, edited, and produced by Jeff Wilson and me, Dan Cavanaugh. You can continue the journey and check out everywhere we talked about today in the show notes and our Taste BC map. Make sure to follow us at Taste BC Radio on Instagram and Facebook, and we'd love to have you join our community on Patreon. You can also now connect with us on Untapped. Links are in the show notes. Tune in next time to find out what we will be tasting next. And never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast app. In the meantime, make sure to rate and review the show. This really helps us grow and we really do appreciate the feedback. Until next time, support local and keep it tasty. Nice. Dan, I would love to hear what kind of winery you're thinking about. Or, I mean, you've been... I, Dan, I would love to hear the winery you want to tell me about. Thank you for that introduction, Jeff. <laughs> you're welcome. Don't worry, uh, I'll cut it so it sounds good. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> uh.